0: when you add 36 new trojans to your roster what should you expect you are locked on trojans your daily podcast on the usc trojans part of the locked on podcast network your team every day on everyone i'm your host mark hulkin and thank you for making locked on usc your first listen every day whether you're watching me on youtube or wherever you like to download your podcast we are free i appreciate your support thank you so much for watching to become a a subscriber it's really easy if you're watching on youtube just hit the red subscribe button you like the episode hit the thumbs up both of those mean a whole heck of a lot to the show thank you so very much all right so you should probably know by now, all of you loyal everyday listeners, that I'm not a big fan of the word expect or expectation. I prefer to use anticipation. As I mentioned, when you expect something and you don't get it, um, just kind of a bigger letdown. So don't set yourself up for a fall is the way I look at it. So this year, there are, as I mentioned at the very top, 36 new Trojans added to the USC football roster. Out of those 36, 22 are high school freshmen. It's a lot of newcomers. So, I'm going to focus on the high school kids or the high school recruits for this episode of Locked on USC. Tomorrow I will focus on the 14 portal transfers and what we should anticipate. From each of those guys. So again, today, it's all about the freshmen. And let's just get this out of the way. Not all of them are going to be playing in 2023. Which just fat fact. Um, there's just certain guys are slotted for redshirt years. Uh, and I, I think everybody knows that's probably um, if you're looking at one particular position group, always look at the offensive line room. You rarely rarely do you want to force guys uh, into roles they're not ready for out of high school and offensive line is one of those roles <coughs> just they're just rarely they're, they're they're just not ready most of the time coming out of high school there's a handful and USC has actually has one this year uh, but the most prudent thing is to let them just add weight get stronger look forward to them a year after they arrive. Um, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on the guys um, who I anticipate will play in more than four games in 2023. In other words, they will not redshirt. Let's just start off at the top. Zachariah Branch, wide receiver. He's going to play, and he's going to play a lot uh, on special teams and on offense, so I guess would it be wrong to, and I'm using finger quotes to expect or anticipate a special teams touchdown from this very special young man? Uh, I I definitely anticipate a few touchdowns from him playing wide receiver this season. So can he uh, can he put a cherry on the top and make USC's special teams really special? Malachi Nelson, the quarterback of the class. Um, I think he's going to redshirt it's not necessary but unless he's just you know 10 times better than miller moss at this stage of his career and he's not let's just be frank about it uh he can look forward to competing for the starting job next season against miller that's what everybody anticipates this year uh he he might see some game action maybe in the first couple games but that's about it. Makai Lemon, wide receiver. Uh, this is a player I'm torn on with this one. I, again, the wide receiver room is loaded, and he plays, you know, he's a similar size to a lot of the wide receivers. Um, he, but he does have a that Amon Ra-St. Brown type of bulldog mentality, so I don't know. It's, again, this I'm torn on this one. I can see him getting some early run in those first few games, especially, you know, against Nevada-San Jose State. Um, But from then, we'll have to see where we go. Again, I'm not sure what's in store for Makai. If if, if Makai shows the coaches that he he deserves to be on the field, they'll put him out there. Uh, Taka Curtis. He's going to play on defenses. (laughs) And I think eventually he's going to be in that too deep. uh, And I would not be surprised um, if he's possibly even starting by the end of the season. But he's got a long way to go. We saw what he looked like in the spring game, but we know what he's capable of doing. Running back, Quentin Joyner. I know the staff loves him. I mean, loves him a lot. But Austin Jones, Marshawn Lloyd, Darwin Barlow, Rayleigh Brown. Look, Lincoln Lincoln Riley, he's talked about moving Rayleigh into the slot a little bit more this season. So we'll see. Again, borderline red shirt for uh, Quentin Joiner. Uh, Marion Peterson, the biggest running back on the roster, I think he's in a red shirt. Although I'm, I'm buying Peterson um, as a, I'm going to use finger quotes, burst on the scene guy. Something about him I like. Elijah Page, offensive line, uh, he's going to play. Uh, in fact, I think when fall camp is over. He will have locked up the backup left tackle spot. And he could take over that spot if he continues to develop. We'll see. Malachi Crawford, cornerback, special teams to start the season. Again, that room is just too deep uh, for him to kind of bust through everybody who's in front of him right now. Love the guy's size, though. I mean, he's 6'4", 180, 185. Let's check him out when he's a sophomore be a man uh, christian pierre safety someone to keep an eye on uh, a lot like calen bullock playmaker and he's also a better tackler than calen bullock so problem is calen bullock is on everybody's all-american list so and there's other guys in front of him too we'll see keep an eye on like i said he's a keep an eye on guy sam green defensive line i mean excuse me rush end he was recruited to play defensive line, uh, but he, he had a really good spring game. So if he carries that over through fall fall camp, um, he'll be he's gonna play on the field this year. No red shirt for him. Deuce Robinson, uh, is he a tight end? Is he a Michael Pittman wide receiver? I think Lincoln Riley and Dennis Simmons and and, and Zach Zach Hansen, they'll figure it out. Deuce is gonna play a role this year. Period. Uh, Braylon Shelby, Russian out of Texas, he looks the part, but he's got a lot of competition in front of him. And uh, again, Sam Green, he was there this spring, so we'll see. Walker Lyons, he's in Norway. Jacoby Lane, uh, I have no idea. What I do know is he has six-foot bunny hops. If you could find it on social media, from a standstill, six feet, crazy. Here's my red shirt, sh- <laughs> my red shirt group, <laughs> Micah Banuelos, Alani Noah, and uh, we got Amos Talalele, Kate Eldridge, Tobias Raymond, David Peavy, Dejon Lafitte, and Elijah Hughes. Um, again, that's my red shirt squad for 2023 of the high school recruits. I will go over the transfer portal on tomorrow's episode. I got more stuff coming up for you here on this episode of Locked on USC. But first we wanna talk about Built Bars because I'm a little bit hungry right now and I need a snack and I don't have one in front of me, but you should, and you need to have, they're from Built. And if you're like me and you wanna be healthier and you don't wanna compromise on taste, then you gotta try Built Bars. They are really, really good. For starters, they are covered in 100% real chocolate And real chocolate tastes great. And they have these really good flavors. They have something called churro and peanut butter brownie. Cookies and cream. Who doesn't like cookies and cream? And what's even better, as I mentioned, they're healthy for you. Only 130 calories. Only 4 grams of sugar. But you're going to get 17 grams of protein. And you don't have to order them online. If you're near Sam's Club, if you're near Walmart, you're in luck, check this out. Head to your nearest Walmart, go to the pharmacy section, and then you can grab yourself a four-bar box box of their cookies and cream. They have their double chocolate bar, and they have a thing called a coconut puff. And if you're near Sam's Club, they have a 13-bar box of their brownie batter puff and their churro puff. Let me know what you think, and then you can thank me later. All right, so in light of USC baseball getting the shaft, I mean, they literally got their dreams crushed on Monday, Memorial Day. It got me thinking, how can I inflict some emotional pain? Uh, To this day, I'm going to talk about baseball a little bit. Don't worry about it. But I'm going to use that as the primer here. To this day, there is still a piece of my heart right here uh, that still feels that loss to Texas in the uh, in the Rose Bowl and that opportunity to three-peat for the national championship. So I have to wonder, if I still feel that pain, that pain, I have to wonder how Notre Dame fan felt after the Bush push. Look, I know it made Charlie Weiss get all snot-nosed. If you've seen uh, any of the video or any pictures, uh, you know what I'm talking about, old Charlie Snot Nose Weiss. Uh, And since I did guarantee a Trojan victory this year in South Bend, and that'll be for the first time since 2011, here's where I'm coming from. If USC can't just blow out the leprechauns by 31 points, What are some of the best ways to leave the most pain on the Domer players and their fans' faces? I have a few ideas. Tell me what you think. How about Caleb Williams with a Hail Mary touchdown pass? Game winner with touchdown Jesus in the background. Could you imagine? You've already dealt with the bush push, and to have a hail mary. I don't know what is what, what constitutes a hail mary. Anything what, from midfield or beyond. Yeah, that would hurt. That would crush the golden dome. It would implode. I'm all for it. All right. Let's give a shout out to Corey Foreman. If he can crush UCLA's hope, why not go for the Daily Double and do it to Notre Dame in South Bend? If it's a close game, like I said, and Notre Dame's driving, they have an opportunity to set themselves up for the winning score, why not? And this time, Corey, let's run it back for a touchdown let's spike it not really we don't need a 15yard penalty but when i say let's spike it get the pick take it back for six points that's a spike that would uh that would silence south Bend Speaking of, and I said, you know, go for the daily double. Frank Jordan, USC place kicker from back in the '70s, he's one of the few who can go to, will go down in history saying I have a game-winning field goal against UCLA and Notre Dame. It's not often that a field goal wins this this game. This particular particular rivalry game very rarely does it come down to a field goal kick. So would a Dennis Lynch? 50 yarder with three seconds or less on the clock be a fitting way to leave South Bend? I know Dennis gets a lot of grief, but he kind of looks like a. He's not the biggest guy. He's got red hair. He could pass for an Irish guy. Dennis Lynch, the name, sounds Irish. I got to imagine that if that happened, If he pulled a Matt Bormeister, you know, running off the field with a winning kick in the Rose Bowl type of event. Trojan fans on that train ride back to Chicago, that train ride would be pretty drunk. If I could get on the train, I would join you. I got to work after that game. But I can guarantee you the ride back to Chicago after the game will be fun. Whatever time you leave the stadium. And the last time USC played a team affiliated that had a that had green kind of affiliated with them, USC gave up a safety. And a ninety-nine percent probability chance of winning the game. Yeah, I'm reflecting back to the cotton bowl against the two-lane green wave. That safety, yeah, we know what happened. So how about an Irish Mulligan? This time, USC is backed up against its own goal line, and Caleb Williams hands the ball off to Marshawn Lloyd, who just happens to run 99 yards for a touchdown. I have a feeling um, that would... That would be a highlight clip forever. Yeah. That might be the way I'm leaning right now. All these all these suggestions make me feel a lot better than what I was feeling when I found out that USC baseball didn't make the NCAA tournament. But seeing a USC running back run 99 yards for a touchdown in South Bend yeah i could live with that so why am i channeling my inner satan Why are you saying, Mark? markets memorial day why are y'all acting like this well because usc wasn't even considered one of the first four teams out going into the uh monday's selection for the NCAA baseball tournament. In fact, the Trojans were projected to be a few spots inside that cut line. USC became the first team in 25 years to win 17 games in the Pac-12 conference and not make the NCAA tournament. Remember, USC is a 12-time national champion. The Pac-12 has Stanford, UCLA, pretty good baseball program of late. Oregon State, a very good program of late. Oregon, they like to hang around, they'd like to think they're a great program. You get the Arizona schools, Arizona State, Arizona, two really good baseball programs. Anyways, my point being, the PAC-12 is one of the most competitive conferences, top to bottom, in the country and for some reason usc got left out it makes no sense He's, look i'm not going to rant too hard about this because i haven't followed the baseball program and i don't want to sound like a hypocrite with that said this is kind of an injustice here i've been reading up enough to know that uh, everyone feels that usc got hosed It was like they got, they got eliminated on a called strike three and the ball was like four feet off the plate, right? Three feet. I mean, Andy Stankiewicz, the baseball coach that Mike Bone hired, took over a squad that went eight and 22 last season. This year they won 17 games in conference. It makes no sense. So that's why I'm a little surly today. And that's why I felt like, all right, how can I uh, get this off me? How can you beat Notre Dame? And how can you inflict pain at the same time? I want Notre Dame to feel the same type of emotional pain that USC baseball players are feeling today and are gonna have to live with through the summer until next season. And I gotta ask this question. Give me some feedback on this one. Last thing I'm gonna say about the baseball uh, program and how they got jobbed. Uh, As everyone knows, USC is without an athletic director right now. They have an administrator, Dr. Kwok, who's running the program while uh, USC gets all of their ducks in a row, figuring out who's gonna take over the uh, athletic department. So without an athletic director in place, who was talking up USC leading up to the selection? Who in the Pac-12 was fighting for USC? Who in the Pac-12 wanted to fight for USC knowing that they, uh, they're they leaving the Pac-12 high and dry going off to the big conference? Maybe USC baseball will be the, one of the bigger beneficiaries when they move to the big. We'll see. If you think the West Coast gets a little bit of disrespect, if you don't believe me, go check out the regionals. Go check out the locations. Stanford and everything else, and I mean everything else, is east of the Mississippi. Unbelievable. So can Lincoln Riley duplicate what Pete Carroll did? I'm going to throw this out there. Let me, let me go over the P. Carroll era for you. From 2001 through 2009, that's when he coached the team. He was 97 and 19. That's his overall record. That's pretty good. He had a 25 and 1 record in the month of November. You know what that one loss was? 13 to 9. That's all I'm gonna say. He had a 62 and 14 conference record during that time span. Out of those 14 losses, three happened in his first season, four happened in his last season. USC finished nine and four in two thousand nine. Five and four in conference. Crazy. He had three Heisman winners. Lincoln O'Reilly, I'm not worried about that one. He might pass Pete Carroll in that regard. Um, Pete Carroll's team spent 33 consecutive weeks as the number one A- team in the AP poll. Back-to-back national titles, 2003 and 2004. We were 7-2 and two in bowl games. Lost the first one against Utah. Las Vegas Bowl, I was there. Uh, yeah, I've talked about them in the past, and they lost. We know I mentioned the game against Benzion. And He was down. Sorry, he was also four and one in the Rose Bowl, two and zero in the Orange Bowl, and between two thousand two and two thousand eight, USC finished ranked in the top four. They had fifteen consensus All-Americans, and he won eighty-three. 83.5% of his games, which is good for six all-time percentage-wise. Oh, he was 14-2 and two combined all-time versus Notre Dame and UCLA. That 2018, that didn't even get to play for championship with one loss. Oh, what did they do? Their defense gave up an average of nine points per game. That was another highway robbery season. Oh, and they won 34 games in a row between, at one point. So, can Lincoln Riley duplicate what Pete Carroll did? No. And only because USC, or any team, will never win 34 games in a row. Not in today's era. It's just too hard. Um, And don't forget, USC is moving to the big and the college football is moving into the super conference era. So if anybody wins 34 games in a row, um, I hope to see it because man, (laughs) that's going to be a, that's going to be a a tough mountain to climb. You also have to wonder how would Pete have done during the playoff era? I talked about that 2018. How many championships would USC have won between 2002 and 2008 had the playoffs been around? Think about that top four where USC was. You know, you take away the 34-game the win streak. Uh, I think everything else is on the table. It's possible. You just got to stick around. So we'll see. All right. That's another episode of Locked on USC in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. Locked on USC comes at you five times a week, even during the off season where everybody else is taking a break. We don't. And when you're done making Locked on USC your first listen, head on over to weRSC.com. Recruiting stuff is really starting to pick up. I will have a recruiting update on tomorrow's episode, as well as we're going to talk about the transfer portal, guys. what each of those players, what we should anticipate from them. So until then, everyone, you know what to do.